talk about your young woman with advanced HER2 positive disease. She's a 38 year old mother of a two and a half year old who was diagnosed with stage four hormone receptor negative HER2 positive breast cancer with metastases to the bone and liver. So she presented to me with a PET CT that showed liver and bone mets, and we biopsied the liver, and it was biopsy proven. She was very clear in her goals of therapy. She understands that this is an incurable disease, and she values quality of life more than anything. And how long ago was it that you first saw her? About 20 months ago. And how was this detected, and what was going on in her breast? How big was the lesion? She had a palpable left breast mass of about four centimeters, and she also had some palpable adenopathy. So the surgeon ordered a PET-CT to rule out distant metastatic disease, and that's when she presented to me. Can you talk a bit more about her coping with this difficult situation? You know, like she told me in Sandy today, she lives with this disease, but she doesn't think about it every day, and she doesn't want it to control her life. So she's missed one day of work over the last 20-plus months. And it's really truly remarkable when you see these women, and you know almost all the women we saw today, you would look at them and you would hardly even know they were struggling with a disease like this. And she was very clear that she lives a normal life, and she absolutely doesn't think about it unless she has to when she comes in. But she's very realistic about it. She's not in denial. She's just taking it very well. And was that the way she was when you first met her, or it took her sort of a while to get there? It took her a couple of months. I think, you know, at first she refused therapy for a little while because, again, she kept telling me that quality of life, quality of life is the most important thing to me. And then we talked about all the options. And, you know, I told her generally what we do is a trastuzumab and cytotoxic agent like a taxane or venerelbine is the standard of care. However, she asked, is there anything I can do that I won't lose my hair, that I won't have to come in, but every three weeks or every four weeks because she also gets an IV bisphosphonate? So that's when we came up with the trastuzumab capecitabine suggestion for her. There were two studies published in JCO that showed up to a 50% response rate. So she did quite well on that regimen for 18 cycles. Wow. And she had a complete response in her liver. She continues to have bony disease, and she started having a little bit of back pain, and bone scan and CT scan showed progression in her thoracic spine. Therefore, she underwent radiation therapy. And again, when we reconvened to discuss what's next, she again talked about quality of life. Therefore, due to the O'Shaughnessy data showing the trastuzumab lapatinib data, we started her on that, and she's tolerating it very well. And how long has she been treated? About three months now. Any feeling in terms of response at this point? She's up for restaging. But, you know, again, she's very functional and she's not having any clear symptoms. Where did her feelings come from about quality of life? Did she have anybody in her family who had a hard time with chemo or where did that come from? I think that her husband had an ill family member that struggled from chemotherapy. And even though she wasn't there... I think she heard about it. But what's interesting is that he, while he's extremely supportive, he encourages her to do cytotoxic chemotherapy 
However, you know, she's her own woman, and she decided that this is how she wants to live life. And she said also her daughter is in daycare. She doesn't want to worry about infectious complications. And she said, you know, now as she's evolved, she says, you know what, at one point, maybe if I have to and I've run out of any other option, maybe I'll think about it. I think she made a very good choice with Nilema, and I think that there's nothing wrong with giving capecitabine with trastuzumab, even though early on, you know, with the Slayman data, there was suggestion that there was antagonism. There really isn't. And as Nilema mentioned, there's a good response there. And I personally, for non-HER2 positive patients, use Zolota or capecitabine all the time. So I think that this was a very good choice, and I think we all really do want the least toxicity for patients. So there was really nothing wrong with that. But to answer your question about the family dynamics, it's very hard. So you just have to spend a lot of time and really, especially if they're together, and hopefully they are, and that's better when they're both there in the same room and just discuss it. And as Neelima said, the patient really ends up making the decision about what she wants to do. So it's just a lot of listening and holding of hands and really just trying to take time. You can't rush through these things. Any comments about the biologic doublet of trastuzumab lapatinib? As was mentioned, this was just published in the Journal of Clinical Oncology by Blackwell, and it does show a longer progression-free survival and better response rate with the combination. So I think it's a very reasonable and good option. The one question I have about that study is, what if you had just used trastuzumab alone so it didn't have that arm in the study? So I I, again, I'm not 100% sure that lapatinib is what is adding in that combination because it compared lapatinib to lapatinib trastuzumab. However, in this case, it certainly is working, and she has very little toxicity from it, which is interesting. She didn't have the diarrhea that a lot of patients have had, and she really has totally lived a normal life and working and taking care of her child and family, and it hasn't interfered at all. So I was very impressed with the low amount of toxicity that she's had with that combination. Now, you brought up the issue of suppose the patient had got trastuzumab alone, and I remember, I think it was Kathy Pritchard brought that up from the floor at San Antonio when Kim Blackwell actually presented the data in San Antonio. But weren't these patients having progressive disease on trastuzumab? I don't know. I mean, it is possible that they still could have a benefit from having trastuzumab on board, even though they were progressing. I still am not totally convinced that you need the lapatinib there. And you're right. Those patients all had progressed on trastuzumab. And they were all very heavily pretreated. Right. It's interesting putting aside this woman's particular wishes, they would have brought up lapatinib trastuzumab. But when you consider that you are talking about palliation these, not only did they work well in her, or they seem to, I mean, I don't know that they are. I mean, do we really know that, for example, you know, paclitaxel trastuzumab would be better than, say, capecitabine trastuzumab? We don't know that. And I think that's why this is such a great case, because, you know, and you all who are listening to this can't see the patient, but she's unbelievably well and happy and smiling and has a great life and hasn't had the hair loss, hasn't had paresthesias, hasn't had any of the toxicities that you would normally see with chemotherapy. So I think it's a very illustrative case. Additionally, this is a very smart lady who she understands the data, but she's very clear that, you know, she would like creative ways to prolong her life while letting her maintain her quality of life. Any comments, Sandy, on how it affects oncologists personally trying to manage so many really difficult situations like this one? 
Well, I think in taking care of breast cancer patients, the positive about it is because so many of them do do very well. Even the case that we described just now where this woman has metastatic disease, she's a happy person and she's coping well and you know, you're making a difference in her life in a very positive way. So those are very positive feelings. And of course, you do have your patients who don't do well, and eventually, you know, they will die of their disease. But the balance is really good in taking care of the breast cancer patients, because the survival is improved with these patients overall. So there's a lot of positive there. And I think most of us that go into medical oncology are optimists, and we do look at the bright side of things. And it's important to do that. Otherwise, it would be hard to go home every day and knowing that you're not making a difference. And the other thing for me, and I know for Neelama, we were talking about this, is doing the research is really important to know that you're participating and trying to advance the field. I mean, that's incredibly important to me, you know, in my practice, just knowing that I'm doing that rather than just using standard of care and, and not advancing things at all. And speaking of research, I'm curious kind of what you two might be thinking about for the next systemic therapy that this lady might need. Now, of course, we don't know when that's going to be, but I'm curious what you'd be thinking, particularly in view of, you know, her specific interests in quality of life. And the word TDM1 comes into my head. You must be psychic. If it's approved, that would be a great option for her since it's a anti-HER2 antibody with the microtubule inhibitor attached to it and the side effects of it are relatively tolerable and there's minimal thrombocytopenia with it. And if it's not approved, which it probably won't be, you know, for the next year or so, and she may progress, she did say she was having a little bit of back pain when we talked to her, I think. So, you know, it's possible that she will progress before then. And Neelma had mentioned using Navalbean and trastuzumab, which is such an active combination. I mean, I remember years ago, having done this a long time, using Navalbean for patients just who were unclassified as far as her status and the response rate so low, and I really stopped using it. And then when you come along with these HER2 positive tumors, they just are dramatically responsive to the combination, and that's very well tolerated. So that's something we had talked about for the next treatment. Is there any way right now for a doc in practice, or for that matter, people in tertiary centers to obtain TDM1 or to get patients on studies? Well, there is a study, but it's a second-line study comparing TDM1 to lapatinib capecitabine. And the Amelia study, it's actually open in the U.S. We have it open at our center, but it's a second-line study, so she wouldn't really be eligible for that. And then there are some phase two studies scattered in different places in the country. There is going to be a first-line study comparing TDM1 to Herceptin taxane. I think you can use either taxane and TDM1 pertuzumab. So that'll open probably sometime in the late summer or fall. But to just get it after you've had several treatments, you probably have to go to a major center and either go on one of the phase one or two studies that are out there. I know you just came back recently from the NSABP group meeting. What were the discussions that were going on there in terms of the group's interest in anti-HER therapy? Obviously, there are a couple trials out there already. You're involved with the BETH trial. There's the new adjuvant study. Are they talking at all about looking at TDM1 or pertuzumab, which you're involved with the Cleopatra study? What are some of the things that you all are talking about? Well, everyone is very interested in putting TDM1 in the adjuvant setting. So we're heavily talking about that. And I know that the intergroup 
also would like to put it in the adjuvant setting because it's so active in metastatic disease and very, very heavily pretreated patients. The response rate was about 32%, which is really, really remarkable for patients that have had a median of three treatments on a HER2-targeted therapy. So I think everyone's convinced that it's definitely going to get approved for metastatic disease, and we should quickly put it in the adjuvant setting. So we're talking about it quite a bit in a similar design, as I mentioned, for the metastatic disease.